0: Don't look at your phone, but instead take one of these physical copies. <laughs> uh, this is one reason we have these guys around. And go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just go ahead and thumb to that portion of scriptures in the New Testament. And uh, near the end of 1 Corinthians, and of course there's 2nd as well. But we're going to find ourselves here in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Hey, go ahead. Uh, there's another piece of Bible, uh, paper that has the Bible there. Um, forgive me. Uh, and, um, and we're going to read here a portion of, of this. And as uh, Pastor Bruce has already said, we're going to be stuck, uh, the, the church has stuck us in epiphany for three weeks in this one chapter. Now, that means we always need to kind of lean in and listen up and pay, uh, pay good attention to what's going on. Thanks. Have my lovely assistant, beautiful assistant. Wonderful assistant with me uh, today, and um, really always. All right, so let's focus here on what the Lord might say to us today through these powerful words. Quite honestly, all the scripture verses that we've read today, the different passages, Isaiah 6, that is foundational. <laughs> the, uh, the passage in the gospel reading ...is, is um, miraculous. And now let's hear what St. Paul says. Now you follow along in the ESV. I'm going to read from the RSV on purpose... ...but let the Lord speak to you as we do this. This is the word of God. I would remind you, brothers and sisters... ...of the good news that I proclaim to you... ...which you in turn received... ...in which also you stand... ...through which also you are being saved... ...if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you... ...unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance... ...what I in turn had received... ...that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures... ...and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day... ...in accordance with the scriptures... ...and that he appeared to Cephas... ...then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time... ...most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called... ...an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am... ...and His grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them... ...though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they... ...so we proclaim and so you have come to believe... Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that we can hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Lord, would you do that even today? Would you ground this word deep in us as people of faith, as Christian brothers and sisters, as witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Last week we talked about... ...love, and this beautiful chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, of love. But we saw it in context. It's not just Paul trying to define love philosophically or generally... ...but rather specifically and to a particular group of people... ...namely uh, the Corinthians, right? And so his argument after chapter 13 continues, though. He's talking about spiritual gifts, then he's talking about love... ...then he's talking about spiritual order in worship... And then he jumps over to resurrection. And one might think that like, hey, whoa, Paul, you're jumping around here. man. Like these are huge topics. But for Paul, this is what it means to be spiritual. This is what the Corinthians loved. They they loved the idea of being spiritual. Super influenced by Plato, not not Plato, but Plato, right, the philosopher. They were super focused on the spiritual and discounted the physical. Focused on the mind, not on the body. And Paul says, listen, if you want to be super spiritual, you have to understand this fundamentally essential doctrine of resurrection, which deals specifically with the body. It's not a resurrection of the mind or the soul, but rather this physical, material, decaying, Have to help it along, body. Now, so, if love, then, is the master key, right? Remember that from last week? Love unlocks all the spiritual gifts of God, right? Well, if love is the master key, then resurrection is the central act. One might say it's the centralizing act of all of Christianity, It's what it fundamentally means to be a Christian is to believe in the resurrection. Now, that's a that's a tall order, (laughs) especially in a culture that doesn't believe in miracles, (laughs) that God can't really come into our world and do things. That sort of thing doesn't happen. The Corinthians were not so unlike us in this way. They believed that the world wasn't really that real. The spiritual world was more real than the physical world. Somewhat in the same way that I myself am more real than a picture of myself. Or a mirrored image of myself. You get this? They saw the world as not really that real. What is real is what we can't see. Now that's kind of the opposite of the way our world looks, isn't it? It's like, no, what what you can see, that's all that matters. That's our cultural sensibility. But theirs was the exact opposite, and both of them put us in a ditch. Not in the truth. One on the side of only focusing on spirituality... ...to the demise of any sort of material, bodily salvation. The other only on the material to the demise of the spiritual. There's always this pendulum that is swinging. And people go to the extreme in correcting it. The Bible stands in the middle, in the truth. And we need to find ourselves there and not in one ditch or another. And so in order to have resurrection, there must be death. In order to die, one must be human. And God satisfies this in his son, Jesus Christ, who becomes human and dies for us and in our place, but does die. And this is what we recite in every creed of the church, whether it be the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, is that he he died and that he was buried and then that he rose again. So, incarnation... That is, God the Son, God who is pure spirit, which the Greeks would have been like, wow, that's it. That's the answer, pure spirit. Like, not tainted at all with having to go to sleep or use the restroom or take care of our body in all the ways that we do and prep it up and make it look better than what it really is. Make it smell better than what it is. This decaying, as some have seen it, prison. The scripture doesn't see it that way. The scripture does not see the body in that way. But they would have said, oh, pure spirit. That's, that's the answer, pure spirit. But pure spirit, who is God himself, the Old Testament tells us, becomes human flesh. The word, the logos, remember? That's where we get that part to like biology, right? It's like the reasonable part of life. It is the truth of life or... Theology, the truth of God, that ology, that logos, that's pure spirit. It's the truth, right? Not material, becomes flesh. That's what Christianity claims based off of the Bible. Remember, according to the scriptures, that no other religion can claim. Everybody else is trying to move away from the material world, out of the prison of the body and into pure spirit. God is pure spirit and becomes human in Mary by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. You see, I'm trying to connect some things here theologically for us that are fundamental. That sometimes we just, we say them with our mouth, but we don't understand their significance. We don't really know where they fit. And for Paul, it fits ...all in a piece and grounds itself in this fundamental... ...what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle... ...which is the resurrection. And so... ...if we think in terms of... Uh, ...even the Old Testament... ...let's just look there for a moment... ...the Old Testament, if it's according to the Scriptures... ...well, if Paul's saying that, the New Testament's not written at this point. Right? Everybody with me? Yeah, just, just say like yay or nay. Like, you know, some of you are looking past me, which means I don't know if you're listening. Um, here's the way Paul begins this, actually. Let me back up before I get into the New Testament and just say this. Remember. Let me remind you. Which some of you said, well, yeah, well, resurrection, of course. Like, we don't need three weeks of resurrection, man. We, we, we get that at the one time a year at Easter, right? But for Paul, We have to remember. Why? Because in the Old Testament, forgetting is sin. Go back and read Deuteronomy. And when they forget, that means they've sinned. Don't forget God. Which is to say, don't not do what he has said to do. And I wish it was as easy as saying it one time and then we can remember, right? I'm sure your children are not like mine. You can probably tell them one time what to do, and they do it, right? You know, you're just like, yeah, hey, buddy, listen, let's, that's not how we eat. We don't eat like cats. You know, we don't just, you know, we, we don't do that, okay? Um, and they do it, right? No, they don't. It's like, hey, buddy, pick up a fork, you know? Don't wipe your mouth like this. There's things called napkins that are on the table every week. But they forget and I have to hey, buddy, buddy, listen, uh-uh, no, not on the table, not on, not on your clothes, no, 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 on the napkin, right? And we have to, did you wash your hands? Oh, okay, well, let's go wash our hands, okay? Um, we have to remember, don't we? And one of the ways to remember is to say it over and over again, which might be why we, in the creedal formulas continue to say it, right? I mean, there's probably some things, if we had a recording at your house, if you do have kids, you probably say some things over and over and over again, right? It's so funny because, uh, yeah, Jessica and I got in a big discussion about this on the way home the other day from Mississippi, and it turned into an argument, unfortunately, but I never intended that. But nonetheless, the point was like, hey, we say things so they actually get done, (laughs) right? And we Of all people, we, right here in this room, that would consider ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, we must remember the resurrection and understand best we can and continue to see how resurrection fits into every part of our faith. It is not an afterthought. And unfortunately, much of our evangelical American experience, it has become an afterthought. ...other things have been pushed before it... ...but Paul says, no, 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 this is a first things matter. It is of ultimate importance, of first importance. And so, as we try to remind ourselves regularly... ...and even our songs have already done that partially this morning... ...of of resurrection life... ...we should remember that this reframing of reality... ...to see that the answer for God is actually resurrection. Now now follow me real quick on a little mental journey, okay? We can get lost, so I don't want to lose people. So just, like, locate yourself right here to me real fast. If resurrection is the answer, what was the problem? (laughs) You see how this works? Like, everybody knows... Even non-Christians that the cross is God's answer. The cross coupled with resurrection. That's the answer. But like Jeopardy, what was the question? Some of us have settled for an understanding of our salvation... ...that it is only the forgiveness of sins. That's all we need. We just need the forgiveness of sins. The Bible doesn't stop there, though. That's the beginning. That's the door... ...through which we enter into Christ's life... ...is the forgiveness of sins. It is not the end. In fact, all of the Gospels... ...do you know where they end? Just go ahead and say it. Do you know? They end in resurrection! Hopefully you've read the Gospels before, right? It's like... All of them will end with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't end with his sacrifice and then he's still in the grave. But hey, he did it for you. Therefore, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. God's punishment is done. Why does he need to resurrect? Why do we need to resurrect? Don't we just need the forgiveness of our sins? Every week we go back out sinning and then come back in here and receive forgiveness... ...and then do the same thing perpetually... Isn't that the good news? No. (laughs) No, it's not. The gospel writers don't stop there. Neither does Acts. Acts begins with the resurrection and then goes out. You can hear Isaiah and the call of all of those in the book of Acts... ...that they heard the call to now that Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Then that means we move out. We move out in mission. We move out in proclamation. We move out as witnesses to that apostolic confession. He is risen. Yeah, you don't have to be scared to say it now. I mean, we can say it whenever we want, right? He is risen. risen Exactly, and he is. Notice, not a past tense. Because he's still alive and active and the hound of heaven that when we find God, what we really realize is that he has found us. He's the one who's been in hot pursuit, not us. We don't climb our way to God. We don't find our way to God. He finds us. And he has. And he is. And so, no, forgiveness. Well, you take a step forward, you say, okay, I get it. You know, we being in Methodism, one of our distinctives is the holy life. We don't believe that one has to just continue in the sin that you get caught in but rather can actually be changed we believe God can change our hearts and wants to renew our minds and that we can walk in his ways by the power of the Holy Spirit and say oh yeah well holiness then of life that's the end we just need to live a holy life and that is the end but friends again the way we come to God by faith, by trusting Him, His justification for us, and the way we walk with God, which is holiness, that's still not the end. Resurrection is the end, which the scripture calls this term glorification. So, if again, I said it was a journey, okay, we're done with that journey now. I'm going to summarize justification, sanctification, glorification. Oftentimes, We only focus on justification. That's all that matters. No, 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 no. A holy life too. We can actually walk with God, can't we? Absolutely, he's made a way. Even in Leviticus, he makes a way. Notice, it was not the way they came to God. No, he came to them and rescued them from Egypt. Remember that? And then he called them to himself. And then he said, now, if I'm going to live in your midst, because remember, God was in the middle. They were all around him. He said, if I'm going to live in the midst, this is what you need to do in order not to die. If you do these other things, you're going to get burned. Again, God's not some angry God that's like, oh, well, you didn't obey that. Little. He's more like the sun. He can't help his nature. He is who he is. And if you don't properly address the sun at the beach in the summer, well, you're going to know it. You're going to be a lobster or worse and be in lo- severe pain. Because it's not that the sun is angry at you. It is the nature of how we approach the Son. And we don't approach it on our terms. And we don't approach God on our own terms. We approach Him as He has said. And so, but that's not the end, is it? (laughs) Instead, there's this third thing. Justification. Sanctification. And in what? Glorification. He is going to take our body, the one that, that you teach kids in. The one that you eat and have fun and Do do your hobbies and are entertained and even today have brought as a living sacrifice to God in this place. And we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. That body, that body will be glorified because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Which is Paul's whole point here. He's saying, listen, (laughs) there's not just the resurrection of Jesus as a past event as much as that is the case. But there's also, we're going to be resurrected. And our salvation ends with resurrection. That is the fullness. And so our dear brothers and sisters, that cloud of witnesses, those uh, uh, that we know have gone on in the faith and fallen asleep as Paul would have it, they will wake up again in a glorified body. One not unsimilar to the one we're all in now. Which is why Jesus was able... After the resurrection, remember? To eat and drink with them and yet pass through a wall. It is a spiritual body, Paul will say. So, three steps, if you will, of grace. We must be justified. We must be sanctified, made holy. And we must be glorified. And that is God's answer to the problem of sin. In other words, sin goes all the way down to the bone. must be dealt with all the way down to both body and soul. Because, remember, just rewind, beep. Well, now we just do the little track thing, right? So funny, Jessica, when we first got married, you know, DVDs were coming out, but, you know, some people still used, um, what do they call it, VHS, right? Where you had to, you know, you watched a movie and then you just rewind it, you know. And so she, trying to be very nice, as she always is to me, and I'm very thankful for that, um, I'm not being nice by telling the story, but nonetheless. (laughs) Um, We got finished watching a movie together, you know, and I'm laid up in the chair. You know, she goes, oh, honey, don't get up. I'll get up and rewind it. And I was like, I didn't have the heart to tell her, like, you don't have to rewind DVDs. (laughs) However you rewind in your mind, (laughs) Jessica can help us with this. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 show us a picture of what God intended. And you know what God intended? He intended us to be in a body. We're not trying to escape the body. Like, let's push that out as a pagan, platonic, Greek philosophical heresy. No. God took and formed us out of the dust of the ground, didn't he? And then breathed his precious breath, his spirit... Into us. And that's what a person is. Both body, soul, with God's spirit. A capacity to have God in us. That's what he intended. The fall, of course, brings death upon us. Which Paul will say is the last enemy. Why is it the last enemy? Because, remember, justification. Sanctification. Then what? What's the last thing? He will deal with the problem of our body. And those who were cut short... and those who experienced deformities... and those who experienced handicaps... will be made right. You see, God's salvation is a holistic salvation. It does not just deal with our actions. If you thought that's what Christianity is about... friend... There's a whole new world for you, and it is resurrection life. He will deal with the physical world. He loves trees. He loves dogs and cats and horses and all. He created them all and designed them with utmost meticulous engineering. He really did. He loves them. And they're weird. I mean, why flies? We'll figure it out one day. Why gnats? But you know what? He loves his creation. That's why Paul will say elsewhere in Romans, in another letter of his, he goes, listen guys, even creation itself is groaning. We can hear the first rumblings of its groaning for what? The redemption of the sons and daughters of Christ. Not of Adam. There's two family lines, friend. We are all born naturally. ...into the line of Adam, which is a line that is condemned to die. But there's another line. (laughs) There's a last Adam, the final Adam, a new Adam, and it is Jesus Christ. And when we align ourselves in that line, we, the scripture says, will live forever. That is eternal life. That is what he's offering to us. Not a cheap salvation. It is one that is holistic and thorough. And we can rejoice in that. I can just go ahead and tell you, there's not another religion in the world that deals with salvation of the body like Christians do, like the Bible does. Not even close. (laughs) And and this is why poor Job, you know, poor poor Job like goes through a tough time of suffering. I mean, not only does he lose everything, I'm talking about a tornado comes through and takes away all of his children. All of his other stuff gets stolen. And now he's sitting in a heap of rubble scraping boils off because now even his physical body is under this curse. And he said, Though he killed me, I'll praise him. But then he goes on to say this. And you got to hear this. Remember, this is the Old Testament. This is Job probably living before Abraham. Like, super old. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Notice his language. Notice his language here. And at the last day... <laughs> He will stand upon the earth. Do you know when Jesus came? That was the end of the old world and the beginning of a new world. Which is why we talk about the eighth day, remember? A week, seven days. The eighth day is the end of that, which is the new day. It's the first day of the week, which is what's today? The first day of the week. It is a new day, friend, because of Jesus Christ, his coming, his living, his dying, his resurrection. And after, we normally stop there with that verse, you know, 25. This is Job 19, 25. Notice the next one. (laughs) This is crazy. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Boom, resurrection before the law was given, before the sacrifices, before God's revelation to Abraham, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is our greatest need is to be one with God in our body, put together, not truncated or divided or a dichotomy, but holistic and complete. He will do that. ...in the end, which is why we continue to hope. We continue to look forward to the day when when literally the eastern sky will break open. The heavens will be rended open and he will come forward and all the dead in Christ will rise. multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, Isaiah says. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The New Testament itself, as we've pointed out, Each gospel ends in resurrection. Acts begins with resurrection and propels the church into existence. So much so that a thoroughly Greco-Roman, Greek philosophically, Roman in practice, sort of culture that is locked into their totalitarian Caesars who are godlike and all of their wickedness of the Roman world within 300 years will be thoroughly Christian. Why? Because there was an event. There was an event that could not be denied. A man showed up who claimed to be God and who was put on a tree, crucified by professionals. Remember the Romans? Don't insult them by telling them they didn't know how to get rid of people. They absolutely did. And they did thoroughly kill Jesus, which is why we proclaim. He didn't just swoon He didn't pass out, he died. And then was buried. And then on the third day rose again. And that was the beginning of the end. It was a new beginning of a new age of the last day. And so God's answer to our problem of sin, sin ran deep, but grace is deeper. And this is why. It is for our justification our sanctification, and our glorification. It is for the forgiveness of sins, a holy life, and resurrection life, which begins now. That's why we can trust in the way of God. We can live with holy love as we walk with him. And resurrection is the way to walk with God forever and ever and ever. One grace, three steps. Because faith has an object, and that object is a person. It is Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith. He is what we are to remember. Paul is reminding us of none other than the risen Christ, which is why we gather every single first day of the week. And Christians always have, and let me just tell you, Christians always will ...gather on the first day of the week in the morning to worship the one who rose again. Can't you hear Jesus' words? Remember me. And so, how do we remember him? If this is Paul's real thrust here at the beginning of this chapter... ...we're going to go, trust me, deep down the rabbit hole in three times... But in the beginning, Paul is just saying, listen, you've got to remember that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. Notice this list. He appeared to 500 at one time. James and and all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to Paul. And I feel like the text kind of then turns it around and looks at us and says... Do you know the risen Christ? Has he manifested his life in you? And so just consider that right now. Do you know the risen Christ? Has he been manifest in your life? All of us, dear friends, in our significant relationships have key moments, don't we? With, with my bride, I can tell you the exact moment that was the new day. It was the dawning of a new age of my life. I had super long hair, longer than Jackson, my son's hair right now, which I always complain about. Which people complained about when I had long hair. And I was just sort of wandering, had come out of a relationship for a little while and just was hurt and all these things. And so I went to visit my dad's church to check out this new uh, youth pastor that was there, you know, because I was in—I was—I was graduating from Bible college. I mean, I knew everything, you know. So I was going to go critique this new dude. Um, happened to be the one that we uh, are aware of, and so I get there that night and I see this very nice-looking young lady that's sitting right over here, and so I set myself right in front of her, you know. <laughs> Because I'm like, what better way to be seen than to be right here with my ever-flowing hair? (laughs) Which has been in a recession ever since, nonetheless. And so I sat down right in front of her and sang the songs and worshipped and did all the things. And then afterward, I turned around and said, "Uh, hey, I know everybody at this church, because I did. Uh, But I don't know you. Um, What is your name? And so she's, well, my name is Jessica. And... um, I said, well, um, like, you know, what are you, uh, how old are you? Like, you know, and she's, she's like, um, I'm 17. I was like, oh, man, because I was, what, 22? So I'm 27. I'm like, well, that's out. Um, you, can't, you can't go down to a junior, you know, and she's like, well, no, I'm, I'm actually uh, graduating. Uh, I'm a senior. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm graduating college. She's graduating. Oh, you know, hey, hmm, Interesting. Um, and I'll be 18 here in a few months, and says, so like, okay, okay, well, cool. I said, well, and I just asked her point blank, and this is the God honest truth. I said, um, I said well, what do you think the Lord is calling you to do now that you're graduating? She said, well, I, I think the Lord is um, actually calling me to be a, a preacher's wife. I said, well, I mean, you know I'm a preacher, right? <laughs> and you don't have to believe that, but I'm telling you, that is exactly how that conversation went down that changed my life forever. And so we, we got to talking and some other girl come in and tried to break everything up. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history, right? <laughs> I got the ring to prove it, you know, and the kids. Um, and so, listen, there was a moment where I didn't know Jessica. I might have known about her in some form, but there was a moment when I met her. And my life has never been the same. Have you met the risen Lord? Do you know him? You can know about him. I can tell you all day long. We can sit here and I can keep going, just going, going, going. These other witnesses, they can, you know, we can do all this. We can do polemics and apologetics and all this stuff. But if you don't know him, you, in here, then you don't know him, friend. And in the end, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't want that. I don't want that for you. Have you met the risen Lord? All you got to do is start reading his word. Because just like fishing, you throw that line down there and there's nothing for a long time. If you're me, for a very long time. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, when you don't think you can fish anymore, there's a nudge. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been fishing, when you get that nudge, boy, it's a thrill. It's like, whoa, there's actually something on my line. It's like, yeah, man, start rolling, you know. When we read the scriptures, when we practice the means of grace, in other words, the channels in which God himself has promised, I will meet you in these things. When we gather as believers, he says, I will be in the midst. When we serve the poor, he says, you're serving me. These things, these channels, all of a sudden, I don't care how long you go without it, there'll be a nudge. And you will know that you know the risen Lord. And you'll never ever be the same. Friend, I want you to continue to practice the faith. I want you to proclaim from the rooftop, but also in your neighborhood, to your co-workers, that we serve a risen Lord. They don't have to be downcast. We can pray to a God that hears us, If you don't know what to say to lost people, just simply tell them, I will pray for you to someone who can do something about it. That's what we believe. It's not an afterthought. It's not the least thing we can do. It's the most important thing we can do. Talk to the one who's already praying for their salvation. We should go into conversations assuming that God has already organized us for that moment where we can speak to the need for resurrection life. Not just the forgiveness of sins, not just being a better person or better behavior. Don't stop there. Don't stop short. Paul will not let us stop short. No, the fundamental of our faith is that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means that one day he's going to make all things right by the resurrection of the dead. You know, how do we remember? We speak about it. This is what I wrote down. We speak about it, right? We say it over and over again, just like you do to kids. (laughs) And what you'll find is as you teach about, as you say it, you'll learn it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm teaching Jackson to drive. I'm learning driving all over again, you know? It's like, because I don't even think about it typically. Yeah, I just do it, and I do it well, actually. Um, So I am the one to teach him, but nonetheless... I'm having to say, buddy, this person has a right way. Now, do you see how, how, how well, I won't say, say all of what I say in my instructions, but I say, you know, this person, look at them not obeying the law here, right? As I'm speeding along, he says, well, dad, you're right. I said, no, 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 don't worry about that. You focus on that guy, Right. ...as we teach things and as we say them over and over again... This is, ...this is the importance, listen to me... ...this is the importance of getting in a group with other believers... ...and continuing to wrestle with the scriptures. You shouldn't do that alone. You shouldn't. We all should be wrestling and teaching one another. In my group, we, we've already covered this passage this week... ...and I, I have all these notes from my group alone... ...that they helped teach me this week. I'm not the sole teacher. Pastor Bruce is not the sole teacher of this place... If we all have the spirit, guess what? We can all read the Bible, can't we? We can all meet the risen Christ and be guided by his Holy Spirit. Which is the Christian life. So we speak it, proclaiming it as Paul's... We teach it in the way that I just said. It doesn't mean you have to be an official teacher. If you have kids, teach them. you have grandkids, teach them. My dad all of a sudden has become like a wise old sage of a teacher. You should be like... We'd be working on a car or something. I'm holding the flesh. I'm like, hey, what does that thing do, Dad? What does this do? Why does that work like this?" just be quiet, son. Let me fix this, you know? He didn't want to teach me anything about cars. And so Justin and I, we ain't got a clue, you know? We have to pay other people to do it when he knows all of it, right? But he never transferred that. But you know what he did transfer? Nightly devotionals, where we gathered around the word and he taught me the scriptures. It wasn't letting me be the expert, son, but instead... Now he's teaching my own ch- children a generational faith that is being passed down. And he's doing a better job than I do. He, instead of being angry at a situation, he draws it in and says, let's just pray, son. Now, listen, <laughs> you knew my dad when back in the day. You know, he didn't always pray in those moments where you're real hot-headed. took him a minute. We learn by doing, don't we? You know, it's like a card game, right? It's like, hey, let's play this new card game. It's like, okay, well, teach me the rules. Well, you can teach me the rules all day until I play around. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. We need to do it. And the Lord knows that, which is why he says, obey my words. Do what I said. Do this. Do this. Right? Don't just think about it. Oh, yeah, this is great. No, 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 do it, which is what exactly we're about to do now. Grounded in the scriptures. In the apostolic witness, we become witnesses that can say with Isaiah, here I am, send me. If you know the risen Christ, your words are this, here I am, send me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.